start thinking about lunch. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24 says, Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain, or run in this manner as if you want to receive a prize. And every man that striveth for the mastery or that wants to be successful and compete successfully is temperate or controlled and disciplined in all things. And now they that do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And then Paul said, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, he, didn't, he wasn't confused, he knew what he was doing, but he said, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, when I've helped somebody else to run, I myself should be a castaway. You may be seated. Some years ago, probably more than I wanted to really work out, the sporting goods company Nike, or as many of us in Australia probably say Nike, but apparently Nike's the appropriate way, ran an advertising campaign that centered around the statement or slogan that there is no finish line. There is no finish line. You may have seen those commercials, posters, uh, people's T-shirts. They, they put it everywhere as they tend to do with advertising. And the concept behind that statement was that you need to keep training. You need to keep working. You need to keep running, or in the minds of the sporting goods company, you need to keep buying their running shoes. That's what it really was about for them. And so this morning with our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to minister for probably just a little while about how to run a race with no finish line. How to run a race with no finish line. The Apostle Paul drew a direct connection in our texts and a comparison between the running of a physical race and the Christian life. He spoke of having to have focus and how that was necessary if we were going to receive the prize or to achieve the goal. And just for the sake of clarity and to get this out of the way this morning, when he, when he spoke about running for a prize and how only one receives the prize, he was using the natural example of athletes. He wasn't suggesting that in the kingdom of God that we compete one with another, that we are trying to beat each other to some heavenly reward. That is not the message of the gospel. But he was drawing that parallel. But he was saying that there is a need to run as if you're aiming for something. There is a need to have a goal, to have a focus, to have a task or a target. And he wrote of the discipline of training and of staying the course and he had a very serious concern that he did not want to get to a place himself where he had helped others to run or he'd helped them to make this journey and help them to discipline themselves and yet somehow he himself had fallen out of the race, given up, quit, whatever the case may be, become discouraged or distracted. And he said that the people that run in physical races do so for a reward that is corruptible, that perishes, that fades away. And we know in the, the ancient world, and he was writing to a church that was in ancient Greece, and we know that that's the, where the Olympics come from. And when they would run, they would re receive as a prize uh, a, a wreath that was made out of 
little branches and leaves and what have you that they would wear on their head and that wouldn't last too long. That'd dry up and, and just rot like plants do when they're disconnected from their life source. And he said, it's going to fade away. He said, but the race of the believer, the race of the Christian is for a prize that cannot be corrupted, for a prize that does not fade away, it doesn't expire, it doesn't go out of date, it doesn't become replaced by anything else, but it is an eternal reward. And uh, we, we know, at least some of us are familiar, maybe more than others, that in competitive running, runners train for specific distances. Uh, if you watch the Olympics, if that's something you have any interest in, you may notice that those that run the sprints, the short distances, the 100, the 200, and some may argue that the 400 is a sprint, but to me the 400 is a heart attack waiting to happen. But those people that run the short courses, they're usually muscle-bound, bulging, rippling muscles uh, with explosive pace. They, they have a matter of seconds to get out of the blocks as quickly as they can and to get to the, to the other end of the track. And, and we know the fastest people in the world are able to do that in under 10 seconds, which is almost 45 kilometers an hour. Now, that seems slow when you're driving in a school zone, but it's fast when you're running. And Usain Bolt is the current world record holder. Most of us would know that. But these, these sprinters are muscle-bound because they're looking for explosive pace. And usually, if you listen to any of them, it's usually connected to quite an explosive ego to go with it. But the people that run distance, 1,500, 3,000 meters, 5,000 meters, half marathons and marathons, are physically usually the opposite of the sprinters. They're lean. They're not carrying extra muscle they don't need. They're often what we would consider skinny because they have a long-term goal. They have a finish line that's a lot further away than 100 meters. And regardless of the length of the race, professional athletes have a plan for every race. They work on every facet of the, even the sprinter who runs that race in 10 seconds practices getting out of the blocks the right way. They practice how they'll approach the first 10 meters and then when they hit their maximum speed and trying to maintain that to the finish line. And those that run the long distance races know that there are portions of the race where they will have a different strategy. They know that there are times that will come and go when their energy will come and go. Runners apparently, never experienced it myself, but runners apparently can reach a place where they push through the weariness and they get into this almost surreal area where it becomes like euphoric. I think there's just not enough blood getting to their brains, personally. But they reach a point, they recognize in the races that they go through these different stages. And they train for that. They know that when they're in that section of the race where it's hard, that if they'll push through, they'll, they'll hit that clearer spot. And they, they recognize and they discipline themselves because each part of the race is so important. And any runner, whether a sprinter or a distance runner, knows the importance of coming home strong, of finishing the race well. And when we're born again believers, when we've been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Spirit of God, we have a hope. We have a goal that is set before us. We want to go to heaven. Amen? 
I want to go to heaven. I'm glad for the life that I have right now in Jesus, but I want to go to heaven. That's what it's all about. That's why I'm in this race, because I have that hope, and I want to make it all the way. And the promise that we have is that Jesus is coming back for his church. The Bible makes it clear that we don't know exactly when. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour, but that he is coming back, and that when he does return, when he does return, there will be some that have already passed from this life that knew him. And there will be some, the Bible says, that are alive and remain. And when he returns in just a moment of time, which is described as the twinkling of an eye, I don't know exactly how long that is, but in that moment of time, those that are dead in Christ shall rise first because they need a little head start because they're a little further down than we are. And when they level up with us, we'll go to be with the Lord together and meet the Lord in the air. That's our hope. That's why we gather here on a Sunday morning and any other time we gather to church because we have a hope. We have a goal. We have a target. And we gather here because of that. But the Scripture says as far back as the book of Genesis prophetically about the Lord that unto Him shall the gathering of the people be that we shall gather unto him when he returns for his church. And so we know from the scripture that there is a time appointed. There is an appointed time. The scripture says it is appointed unto man once to die. It's a little sobering that we all have an appointment with death. It's a little bit, little bit grim. Nobody has it marked in their calendar. We don't know exactly when it will be. But we, we have an appointed time that either... Either this physical life will come to an end or Jesus will return while we are still alive and wait for him. But the challenging part is that even though we know there is a time appointed, we don't know when that is. And so it can seem to us as though we are running a race that doesn't have a finish line. We know we have to run. We know we have an end goal. We know what it is. We know what our hope is. We know that God's promises are true and faithful and His Word doesn't change. But we don't know exactly when that's going to happen. And so we run with that hope. Is it today? Is it tomorrow? Will I see the Lord return? Will I finish my life before He returns? We don't know when that finish line is. And we run not knowing how long or how far we have to run for. And if you do that, if, you, if that was in the natural, if you said to somebody, we're going to go for a race, and they said, how far are we going to run? We, I don't know. We're just going to run. Okay. And when you're a child, you'd always go, oh, I'll race you to the end of the street, or first one to here wins. or You always knew where the end of the line was. When I was a boy, when we had visitors come to our house, I was in the habit of racing their car to the end of the street when they left. Now, I thought I was faster than the car but I think they were just nice to me and they drove slowly while the little boy was running along the footpath. But I knew where the end of the street was. I wasn't just going to keep running. I knew, I knew my, I was more for short distances than long ones. Just ran slower like the long distance runners, but for shorter distances. And each day when we get up as believers, we make a decision to continue in this race. We make a decision, maybe he's coming today. Maybe not, but I'm going to run today. I'm going to run. I'm going to keep going. Amen. You see, God is eternal. And that itself is easy to say, but hard to comprehend. 
But he exists outside of time. But even though he exists outside of time, as we said last night at the Bible study, he is the God of beginnings. He starts things. The book of Genesis, Genesis means beginning. And in the beginning, God started something. There wasn't a whole lot there. It was without form and void. And God began to speak. And creation began to come about. And, and the earth and everything that's on it, and you and I, and plants and animals and all that stuff. He began something. And then when he made Adam out of the dust of the ground, he, he began a race of people that would be his image creature. Man was made in the image of God, and he began something. And we all know that man messed it up. And so Jesus came to be our sacrifice to begin something again. He came so that even though we were messed up and broken from sin, he would give us the opportunity to begin a new life and to start afresh. And I hope you appreciate how valuable that is today. If you've never been born again, I want you to understand that Jesus wants you to have a new life. He wants you to get in the race. He wants you to start. Amen. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 says that we're buried with him by baptism into death. So when we get baptized in Jesus' name, you close the door on our old life, you receive the Holy Ghost, and you're raised up from the dead, and you walk in newness of life. It's a new beginning. It's a new walk. It's a new race. And with all the excitement that there is with that new life, and we rejoice recently with several people have been baptized in Jesus' name and have begun that new life, and that's an exciting thing. But with all that excitement, the new life, the new beginning, we need to understand that he is not only the God of new beginnings, but he's the God of endings as well. He's also the God that will finish what he started. In Philippians, the apostle Paul said, I'm confident. He said, I'm, I have no doubt that he that began a good work in you is going to perform it until that day. He didn't say when that day would be. He just said, if God started it, he'll keep it going until that day comes. Amen. He's not only the Alpha, which is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, but he's also the Omega, which is the end of the Greek alphabet. He's not only the first, but he's the last. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And so when God starts in us, he wants to finish. He doesn't begin something and just leave us and say, well, there you go. I've given you a head start. Make the best of what you've got. We would be a disaster. Well, I would be. You might be able to work it out, but I'd be a disaster. But when he started something in you and me, he said, I didn't start it so it could crumble and fail. I started it so it could go all the way. Many of us can testify that we've started things that didn't last too long. We won't even talk about diets. But there are many things we've started that maybe didn't last as long as we planned. Some of you men that are more handy with your hands and you've got good manual skills, some of you may have a few projects in the shed that you started a long time ago. And they're still there. I'm not sure if I'm getting a better response from the wives or the husbands. But we, we're good at starting stuff. And we, you know... We're getting there. You know, somebody said wives don't need to remind their husbands every six months. They're going to get it done. And sometimes that's what we're like. We start with good intentions. But God is not just a starter. He's a finisher. 
And if we will allow him to, he, he's not going to tell you where the finish line is. But if we will allow him to, he will guide us. He will direct us and he will order our steps. And so we don't just wander out. Paul said, I run with certainty. He said, I'm not staggering around like a, a man in the dark that can't find the door. He said, I run with certainty. I'm disciplining myself because I know where I'm headed and that's my target. Amen. When I was a kid, there was a, a, a video or a, some sort of comedy skit that I saw and it was, I don't even remember the context, but it was, it was called the 100-yard dash for people with no sense of direction. Some of you might be old enough to remember that, or you might, might have seen it. You can Google it. It's probably still out there somewhere. And you see an athletic track, just like the Olympics, and all these athletes on the starting line, and then the gun goes off, and they all just run in all different crazy directions. Now, that's funny, but too many people's walk with God is like that. They let God start, but then after that, they think, I'm going to work this out on my own. And they're just running hither and thither and up and down. And they wonder why they don't know where they're going. Paul said, I know where I'm running. I know what my direction is. I've got certainty. Amen. Our beginning needs an ending. Our race needs to be run to the finish. Hebrews 9 and 28 says that Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, but unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin under salvation. That doesn't mean he had sinned the first time. He dealt with sin the first time. But he's coming back for the people that are looking for him, who know where they're going, who've started a race. Amen. Why am I still running? I'm looking for him. Amen. How long do I have to run for? Beats me. Where's the finish line? It's up there somewhere. The Bible gives us examples of people that, that started races, or running at least, started a direction in life and ended up having to go a little bit longer than they thought. You know the story of Jacob, one of the patriarchs. He caused some family problems, caused some real big family problems and had to run away and go stay with some relatives in another part of the world. And while he was there, he met a young lady who he fell head over heels in love with. He just decided that he was going to spend the rest of his life with this young lady. Didn't have anything to offer her parents in the way of a dowry or a bride price, or whatever the culture of the day was. So he said to her father, he said, I'll work for you for seven years to marry this young lady. And he was so in love. It's almost nauseating. That's how much in love he was. But he was so in love, the Bible says those seven years, just like that. Just like a moment of time. But then when the marriage came, and his his future father-in-law who also turned out to be his uncle we can explain that at another time but they tricked him i'm not sure exactly how they did it with whether it was the way she was dressed with a veil whatever the whole deal was he got married thinking he married one lady and woke up in the morning next to her sister who he was not in love with who apparently was not quite as good looking as the one that he was in love with and so he ran what he thought was a seven-year race but then he had to run another seven years to get the sister that he actually wanted to marry in the first place. And if you think, well, the Bible justifies having more than one wife, read how that story went before you make that decision. You may find out you don't want to go down that pathway. But he, he ended up having to go a lot further than he thought. His grandfather, Abraham, was called by God to go out into a city that God would show him. And he promised Abraham that from your descendants, I'm going to make an incredible nation. 
Abraham was 75 years old when he went out. Year after year. All right, God, I got this promise. Going to be a father. Going to have descendants. Going to have children and grandchildren. Family trees going to spread and grow. Year in, year out. 25 years before the child of promise came. 25 years before Isaac was born. What a long race. Anybody want to run for 25 years? That's a long time to run. And when he got there and finally, God, I've had this son, finally it's taken 25 years to have one kid. He got there and he thought, oh, probably thought he could take his running shoes off and sit down and have a break. But then the Lord said to him, you know that son I just gave you? I want you to do something with him. I want you to take him and offer him back to me as a sacrifice. So Abraham thought he'd stop running, but he had to get back head on. And the Bible says he got up the next day and he got back on the track and he began to run again. Because the scripture tells us in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, that Abraham, against hope, or in other words, against rational thinking, what he could see, believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, as God had promised him. And it said, being not weak in the faith, even though his body was, in terms of its ability to have kids, he was dead. When he was 100 years old, he staggered not at the promise of God, but was strong in faith. Why? In verse 21 of Romans 4, because he was fully persuaded that that which God had promised, he was able to perform. Amen. How do we run a race that doesn't have a finish line? How is it that we don't just run out of steam? I was chatting to Sister Marshall this morning. It's the end of November. It'll be December in a few days. I don't know about you, but it seems to me like this is a revelation. There's 12 months in every year, but it seems that there's only enough fuel in the tank for 11. You ever feel like that? You get to the end of the year and it's like the, the needle's in the red zone, but there's another month to go. It's like... It really shouldn't matter, but somehow there's something about the calendar that when we get to the 11th month, we're thinking, I'm not sure if I can last it through the 12th. It's just something about the way that we are. And we get a little bit like that spiritually as well. Turn with me to the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. Very well-known passage of Scripture. How do we run... A race that has no finish line. See, we're, we're good at holding on when we know when the end is. We can hang on till Friday afternoon at work because we know the weekend is there. You, know? you can hang on till lunchtime because you know you won't starve to death between breakfast and lunch because you know it's coming. But if somebody said to you, enjoy your breakfast, your next meal, we don't know when you're going to have it, that's a different feeling. But in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 28, the prophet writes this, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, that's strongly establishing who we're talking about, doesn't faint. He fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. Anybody ever felt faint? And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths, those who are naturally strong, 
those who have all that energy and vigor and enthusiasm and seem to have energy to burn, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. That's all pretty grim so far. But thankfully, verse 31 starts with the word but. But they that wait upon the Lord, those that look to him, those that sit in his presence, those that wait upon him, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. This is obviously not talking about just something physical. But there's something about our running the race we have with the Lord that when we look to Him, when we wait on Him, when our focus is on Him, when we sit in His presence and we allow Him to renew us, He will renew our strength. That's why if we look to Him, you can get up each day and regardless of what the day holds, you can say, I'm strapping on those Nike running shoes and I'm running. I don't know if it's the last day. I don't know if there's another thousand days to come. But I'm running. Because I've been with Him and He's renewed my strength. He's given me a refreshing and a renewal. And like the eagles are able to, when, if you look into eagles as they get older, they're able to, they, they produce new feathers and pop out the old ones and even their beaks become, they, their strength is renewed. And that's why that example is there. And somehow we shall run and not be weary. That doesn't make sense naturally. I don't have to run too far to get weary. I don't know about you, but spiritually, if I will wait on him, if I will trust in him, if I will look to him, He's going to continue to renew my strength. And even though Abraham was 100 years old, he was able to get up when the Lord said, there's more distance yet, and to keep running. Amen. That's why in Hebrews it says that we are compassed or surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, of examples, of people that have gone before. They are there to help us to understand that if we will lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, that we can run with patience. You know, that statement tells me this isn't a sprint. We're running with patience, the race that is set before us. What is interesting is that at the end of his life, the Apostle Paul wrote to the young man Timothy, and he said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And the word race in Hebrews 12 and the word fight in 2 Timothy 4 and 7 are the same word. They're the same, they come from the same Greek word. And so this race is going to take some effort. It's going to take some effort, but it's God that's going to give us the ability to run this race. Now, let's get down to what we're really talking about. We're not talking about physical exercise, although that has its place. We're talking about getting from here to there. We're talking about God who began a good work in us who washed our sins away, who fills us with His Spirit, has promised that if we will trust Him, He will take us all the way. You know, when Jesus comes back, there are going to be some people that have been serving the Lord for 10, 20, 30, 50, 60 years. There'll be other people that started the race that day. But the Scripture lets us know the reward's the same. Jesus said... Jesus said there's a man who had a field and he, he, at the beginning of the day he found some laborers and he said, go and work in my field and at the end of the day I'll give you a penny each. 
And then later on, toward the end of the day, he found some more people that were standing around and he sent them out to work in the field. And when, when the end of the day came, when they all came in and had their hands out and wanted to be paid, they all got the same wage. And the people that worked all day, somewhat understandably, were kind of like, what's the deal? They did one hour, we did 12. You know, if that happened on your job, you might have something to say as well. But the Lord said, I'm paying you what I agreed with you. What I give to them is none of your business, is basically what he said. So the important thing is that we're there at the end. That's the important thing, is that we start the race and we stick at it. Because sometimes people start the race and for one reason or another, they get off track. You know, the most common thing is somebody bumps them. Paul wrote to the Galatians and he said, you ran well. He said, who hindered you that you should not obey the truth? What happened along the way that got you off course? If you look into the meaning of that word hinder, it, come, it includes the idea of somebody getting out of their lane and getting into your lane and, and causing an accident. And Paul's saying, who ran you off the road? He said, get back on the track. Run the race. Finish this thing. Amen. We know that there's a comparison there in Galatians between going back to the old law and trusting in grace. And the example for us is that we don't want to go back to our old ways. But we want to continue to trust in Jesus. Paul was saying to them, what's upset your rhythm? Now, runners know about rhythm. But they, they have a rhythm when they run. They, have, they get a, a pattern going. If somebody interferes with that, it can really cause them to be affected by it. Paul said, you ran well, but what happened to you? How long are we going to run? I don't know. I can't tell you when the finish line's coming. But I know this. If we will wait upon the Lord, he will renew our strength. And if you're weary this morning, there's renewal in His presence. If you're weary, and let's be honest, some of us are, there's renewal in our presence. We'd like to ask the Lord to shorten the year by a month. That'd make things a lot better. But we've got to wait upon the Lord. And let me say this to you that are here this morning. If you have never started the race, don't put it off. Get in the race. Let the God of new beginnings give you a brand new start. Let him wash away your sins. Let him fill you with his spirit. Let him turn your life around. You know, people live their lives from platforms of regret and discouragement about what they could have or should have done with their lives. That's no way to live your life because none of that changes. Start running today. God, I can't fix all of that, but today I want to run with you. I want to give you an example of that. Some of you know Sister Margaret Bullett. She's a lady that's been here to minister many times. Sister Bullett is quite well known in the church in Australia for the things that God has used her to do. And for those of you that don't know her, let me give you a little bit of background. Some years ago, Sister Bullett moved to Perth to go to Bible school. And then from Bible school here in Perth, she went to the mission field to Irian Jaya, which is the western half of Papua New Guinea, which is still part of Indonesia. She started a church there. Started witness to people, shared the gospel, people respond to the gospel, they started their race, they got born again. She built a congregation, she built a church building, a physical building, not, I'm not saying she necessarily laid all the bricks herself, but she made that happen. And then, as far as my memory serves me, she was there for about 10 to 11 years, and that church is still going. I had a phone call the other night from the pastor that's looking after that church there now. Then from there, she moved to Jakarta, the capital city of Indonesia. I think she was there about four or five years. And while she was there, she produced a video Bible school. 
She brought in really good Bible school teachers from across the world, had them teach with live interpreting into Indonesian, so that that would be a real benefit to the church in Indonesia. I think about five years there. Upon her return to Australia, she was based in Darwin, up in the top end, where she was able to travel in and out of Indonesia as required on the mission field. But while she was doing that, she started a church in Darwin. Because we didn't have an apostolic church in Darwin. So she started a church in Darwin, which is still there today, being pastored by Brother Bill Namakadro. Amen. And then when Brother Glass retired as our National Overseas Missions Director, she was elected to that office, became our National Overseas Missions Director, and she served in that office for five years. She's now living in Sydney, and this is the part where I get in trouble. She's closer to 80 than 70. And she has a home group Bible study in her church that's a part of the local church that she attends. Now, some of us know those details. Some of us have met Sister Bullett. We think she's incredible, and so we should. But what some of you may not know is that she didn't start her race till she was nearly 40 years old. Everybody thinks that, you know, you know, she was born to the Apostle Paul somehow, and, you know, she was preaching at the age of three at the kindergarten. But she did not come to know the Lord till she was a couple of years before her 40th birthday. Now you can look, you can say, well, what, what about all those years that she just started a race and began to run? And you can look back and say, well, I wish I could change that. And if I only had it done this and had it done that, you can spend the rest of your life doing that. None of it changes. But you can make a decision to get in the race and say, regardless of what happened, I'm going to run the race. I mean, you see, a lot of people don't realize that, but she's only been walking the Lord about half her life. And the things she's done make you tired just reading the list. Amen. So you can focus on what hasn't happened or how you wish you'd lived your life differently, or you can make up your mind to start running. I'm going to finish with one passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 19. Cass, if you'd maybe come to the piano for me, please. Israel is in a difficult time in its history. There's wicked kings and queens on the throne and there are consequences in their society because of the sin that's been introduced and the, the immorality and, and uh, all the, the things that the, the king and the queen are leading the people to do. And there's a prophet by the name of Elijah. And in the chapter beforehand, uh, there's a confrontation between Elijah and these false prophets, and you can read that later in your own time. And God grants Elijah an incredible, miraculous victory. But then in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, in verse 1, it says this, And Ahab told Jezebel, have I seen anybody on the wild goose chase scriptures? That's okay, just, just to see whoever, I can hear the pages turning, so I know I've given you the wrong reference. Apparently I did that last week as well, so. Let's just keep me on your toes. So we are in 1 Kings chapter 19. Old Testament, not Corinthians. Don't even think there were any Greeks in that stage of history. But So 1 Corinthians chapter 19 and verse 1. Kings, kings. See, when you get off track, you've got to get back and run the race again. Somebody obviously bumped me. Verse 1 of chapter 19 of apparently 1 Kings says, And Ahab told Jezebel, 
Now, Ahab was a wicked king, but his wife was a piece of work. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he'd slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She said, Because of what you've done, 24 hours, I'm going to kill you. You're dead. And in verse 3 it says, And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. More modern translations say he ran for his life. And came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. It's challenging for us to understand this because the chapter before was such an incredible victory. And it's a, a story that we've been preaching about for thousands of years. It's such an incredible victory. But Elijah was weary. Elijah had been fighting a battle and running a race, and he was tired. In verse 5 it says, And he lay and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon or baked on the coals, and a cruise or a bottle of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid down him again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for thee. He was talking about his natural ability. Physically, he felt like he'd run his race. He'd reached the end of his rope or whatever other expression we want to use. He'd run out of gas. But then in verse 8 it says, And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat. Forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Now, I've had some good meals in my life. I know the ladies had a good meal on Friday night for Thanksgiving. But I've never had a meal that kept me going for forty days. That's some meal. But, you see, it wasn't about the meal. It was about the source of the meal. Elijah was weary. The journey was too great. But God was able to renew his strength so that he could mount up with wings as eagles, run, not be weary, walk, and not faint. Stand with me if you would this morning. There's a variety of us here in a variety of situations. Some of us made the decision to run a long time ago, and we're weary. To you, God wants to refresh and to renew. Some of us ran before, but for one reason or another, we've allowed ourselves to get off track. God wants to put us back on track, help us to start again. And there are others that don't know what it is to run this race. To you, the Lord is saying, I'm offering you a new beginning, a new life, if 